Welcome to the Progressive Property Podcast. Helping you invest in property for freedom, choice and profit. You'll learn new, innovative and multiple streams of property income. Whether you want to start, scale or systemize. And even if you don't have deposits. So welcome back to episode 3 of my interview with Jerome Royth. In episode 1 and 2 we discussed how we are different in terms of what we do in our property businesses from buy, refurbish, rent, refinance um, and long-term cash flow strategies to the more development and lumps of cash strategies that Jerome implements and also where they are similar. Episode two, we talked a lot about um, how we finance our projects and the different methods of financing. In episode three, we're going to look at how you can raise private finance, how you can go out there and get private funders to fund your developments, but also the challenges that come from the government at the moment, the obstacles with legislation and how professional investors get around that and how we think differently maybe to some amateur investors. So I hope you enjoy episode three. This is the final part of my interview with Jerome. Let's get straight into it. I'll see you at the end. It's really interesting on fees and the costs of fees and the cost of borrowing, which is why we pre-plan in to leave the money in. Make sure the person doesn't um, have a, well, why did you not tell us this at the start? Now, when I had no money and I was living in a room in a shared house, I thought everybody was broke. Everybody's poor. And when you listen to the media and the government, the Bank of England says everybody needs to accept that they're poorer and all you get in the media is tighten your belts. You need to be poorer. You should accept you're poorer. Taxes are going up, etc. And I thought everybody was poor. The reality is there's more money on the planet today than there's ever been. Like if they printed trillions of pounds during the lockdown, there's money out there. But if you're sitting at home listening to this and you're not networking, you're not surrounding yourself with like-minded people, I always say if you, if you stay close to the fire, yeah, stuff will happen. You've got to be where the money is, you've got to be around people, you've got to be educating yourself because if you're not, you're sitting at home listening to the media and if you listen to the media, you know you're going to lose because they only ever tell you, it's like the taxi driver in New York, he says when the, when the, when the taxi, was it Warren Buffett that said when the taxi driver tells you which stock to buy, sell. And that's the media. The media is the taxi driver telling you what to do, when to invest. You've already missed the opportunity at that point. The professionals are making money when everybody's fearful and the amateurs coming in when everybody's, when the media are telling them to get in. So what's your thought on that? So um, Rothschild, I believe, said when the amateurs are in, the market get out. So... Was that Jerome Roth's child? Um, I wish it was, because I don't think I'd be here now. <laughs> I'd be sitting in one of the banks, right? He what? means Rothschild, not Jerome's yeah. child. Yeah. Um, and it's nothing to do with Tim Roth, the actor, <laughs> either. Okay. Um, the amateurs and the professionals. Yeah. So at the moment, so like you, speak to a lot of people all the time. Different parts of England with different strategies, with different wealth. Low, medium, high, because there's levels to everything, right? And what we're finding is, so when we're, when we're raising money right now for this model, we're saying you're keeping your money in for three years. You haven't got a choice. Mm. Kind of not dissimilar, right? Yeah. So you're coming along for the whole ride. You're not just picking the deal that you want to go in. And then it's about, because we're taking planning risk, we're looking at stuff that's 35 to 40% yeah. margin. It has to be. 
because of the cost of planning, which you've already alluded to. Yeah. But the other thing about officers' recommendations, right, it's still not guaranteed. Yeah, exactly, yeah. Um, will you be at the committee yes. meeting personally, sat mm. at the back with a cap on, mm-hmm. so you don't get the rep as a greedy developer yeah. from all the NIMBYs that rock up? Mm. Yeah, because w- the other thing is we bought a cinema theatre that was a very prestigious building in town and all the locals think it should have been turned back into um, two things actually into on this building. So I bought it from the council. It sat empty for, 50, for just over 10 years, 10 to 15 years. The council never converted it into affordable housing or homes for the local people. It sat empty. Some locals wanted to buy it so, and the council to fund their purchase so they could turn it back into a theatre um, to help locals, of which they don't understand the councils are all broke right now and they don't have the money to do that. And if they did, they'd have done something in 10 years with it. So because somebody has taken a building that's fallen down, there's literally holes in the roof, to turn it into something to provide houses for people, provide accommodation, that if you actually flood the market with 21 rental properties, you'll drop the rents, not increase the rents supply and demand or sell them on should we wish to they go well developers are greedy the developers shouldn't be doing that okay well i bought it off the council why did the council not do it for you why are the government not doing it for you and in this country the only solution in my eyes governments are putting policies in place and to win an election rather than to actually help people and all of the stuff they're doing to landlords right now to squeeze them with renters reform bills and um, you know, Section 24 and all this sort of stuff, it's pushing landlords out of the market. And what the masses don't realise because they listen to the media and the government is it's pushing rents up, it's supply and demand. Nicola Sturgeon in Scotland introduced a rental cap and it's, there's never been a bigger housing crisis in Scotland in the last few months than it's caused. So the, the solution is provide more homes, the solution is provide more rental properties and support landlords. But the renters and the general public that don't get economics with love cannot see this because they've been fed a media story of bad new cells and beat the landlord, bash the landlord. Um, why? What's your thoughts on that? So we're experiencing the equivalent of the renters reform bill i don't know much about it i had a little read on it i get it i know what's happening in the landlord space i've got business partners that have got huge portfolios i sort of know what's going on the equivalent in my world which is a supply problem because Mm. you've already identified it and because there's an election coming is that they have basically restrained the planning system Mm. It's under-resourced. Anyone decent's now gone into the private sector and is earning double. They're not on 35 grand a year, they're on 70. And they're working for one of the blue chip planning consultants. So what's happening is the same. And people are leaving what I do, been at it for decades, mm. are leaving the planning game and the development game because it's too hard. In the same way landlords are leaving mm. what you do, which gives you opportunity. Yes. And it gives us opportunity mm. as well. But that's the rea- reality of the system. So we talk about NIMBYs, which means not in my backyarders. They're the people that are undermining the entire system mm. that you see on social media with a placard saying, no more new homes. I'm worried about my grandchildren haven't been born yet. So I sat in a planning appeal on one of our sites and all the neighbours rocked up had the best barrister in England, because that's how you win planning appeals. You just throw money at it, right? It's like anything, yeah? And they all sat there. They were allowed to say something, 
we don't want these new homes, even though it was increasing the value of their property mm. because of the uplift of having something nice around it. Built it, 18 months later, these people are picking the phone up and, and asking me to prune a tree that's overhanging their garden or a fence has blown down in the wind. What's my answer? Get lost. Speechless, so, but yeah. Yeah, you know what I mean? It it's kind the of, yeah. it's the same thing. Yeah. Uh, politics, I, I used to think don't talk about politics when I was younger. I don't really care now. Mm. Um, I think it's quite interesting times. Yeah. What's your whole take on where things are heading? Uh, I think the whole point of pro problem politics is it's gone totally away from trying to represent the people to trying to win an election. And they brought a load of stuff in right now that are seen as good news to try and win an election for the only reason, like getting rid of EPCCs, um, the mortgage charter, which means you can take a 12-month holiday on your mortgage. If you can't afford your mortgage, you can stop paying it for 12 months. The problem is if you can't afford your mortgage in 12 months time, you probably still can't afford your mortgage. The difference now is if house prices have dropped, your house is worth less than if you sold it today, and your debt's gone up with compound interest, which means you've got a bigger debt. But why would they put a mortgage charter in place? Well, maybe if Rishi and Jeremy Hunt got together and decided we've got an election coming up next year and we could have mass repossessions with the way interest rates have gone, we can't afford that, we lose the election. So let's do a 12-month mortgage charter. That means there can be no repossessions before the election. And then if we lose the election, we'll blame Labour for the repossessions. And if we win the election, we've got four years to solve the problem. So are they making decisions to help people? Or are they making decisions to win an election? I think they're making short-term decisions to win an election, to kick the can down the road. However, will bring, I mean, people go, oh, well, Labour comes in, everything will be better. Well, no, it won't, because they're taking on the shit stick they received from the previous government. And this all started 30, 40, 50 years ago. And it just gets worse and worse and worse because they kick the can down the road. And we can sit at home and moan about it and complain about it and let the world happen to us. Because two types of people, those that sit at home and let the world happen to them are those that create their own world. And you cannot fix the system. You cannot change what's happening. If one of us was becoming the new prime minister, we'd probably make the same damn decision they're making. So all you can do is if you cannot change the system or beat the system, you can play the system and make money from it. So the uh, thing about the mortgage charter, is, it, is this all these adverts that are now everywhere? Contact UK yeah. Bank. Is that what that yeah, is? That's because what that I looked is. at it on yeah. buses the other day. If you can't afford your mortgage, just yeah. ring up the bank. But here's so the scary that, thing. So that's a 12 month 12 holiday. Month, 12 month holiday. But the wow. scary thing is, you know, like the bounce back loans where somebody could be given free money and thought, oh, it's free money. We now find out it's not free money. So somebody that was paying a £600 a month mortgage, if their payments have gone up to £1,000 and they can't afford it, they can just go to the bank and say, I don't want to pay, I want to take a 12-month holiday. Now, they think it's a holiday. So they could afford six, but couldn't afford 1000 So what they do is they start paying nothing. Instead of continuing to pay the six or pay the seven and have a bit of a deficit, now what's happening is they're falling a thousand pound a month behind. Now over 12 months they've created 12 grand of arrears. There's compound interest on top of it because they're not saying it's free money, be very clear of this. They're saying if you don't have to pay it now, but you do have to pay it later with interest on the interest on the interest. And all that happens is if somebody's struggling financially, they're creating a bigger hole, a bigger problem, but at the same time, their property's gone down in value because it's going to go down over the next few months with the way the world is and the way the debts are and 
arrears have gone up on mortgages by 13% in the last few months. So it's a cycle, it'll go down before it goes back up again. There's gonna be, in my opinion, mass repossessions because of Rishi and Jeremy's decision. However, you could say, oh, well, Conservatives' decision is shit, but if Labour were in power and they were struggling right now and there was another election in 12 months' time, they'd probably make the same decision. Push it into the next election. And they've done a load of stuff to push it forward. The retirement age. So they've come out recently and said, um, there's gonna have to be an increase in the retirement age after the next election. Why is everything after the next election that's painful because they're trying to stay in? Or are they trying to stay in? Because a lot of people say, well, there's no chance they'll stay in. They've definitely lost already. Well, if they've already lost, their only game is make sure we get back in. So create as much shit as possible for the next government to be able to then blame them for everything so they can get back in. So most decisions in my mind are not done to help the people, even though they're there to represent the people. They're done to win an election. So um, in our world, the equivalent of the mortgage charter was Michael Gove coming out six months ago and saying we're going to recalculate how we come to housing supply and demand and stuff like that. It's called five-year housing supply. Off the back of a statement and a, a presentation by Michael Gove, the majority of local authorities in England downed tools and didn't bring forward their development plans, which is their local plan, which shapes uh, economy, housing, transport infrastructure, 15 years in the council that you live in. That's what a local plan is. We use someone that sits with Michael Gove. This is the other thing, right? Okay, is that when you've been at it a little bit of time, you realise why you pay the top people to do mm. work for you. So they, he's, they, they're, they're on the same task force yeah. within the direct, the, the Ministry for Levelling Up. They've changed the name, right? Now, suddenly overnight, so remember, the Tories have got all these seats. Yeah, they, broke, they broke through the Red Wall up north. I live up north. I live in Manchester, right? Mm. And um, suddenly... Another speech came forward from Minister McLean at the Housing Federation conference two weeks ago, where it was completely different to what Gove said six months ago, because I believe they're now in the vote winning stage. Yes. The whole thing's insane. I also don't believe any of us really know what's going on. Mm. You know, I get asked it all the time. Do you? What's happening, Jerome? Yeah. What's going on in the market? Is it a good time to buy? Shall we do this? Shall we do that? But the person who asks, is it a good time to buy? What they're looking for is the perfect house at the perfect time in the perfect condition for the perfect price. They'll never start. They're a dreamer that'll never start. Um, and I said to people, I did 67 property deals last year. And in those 67 deals, some people are trying to do the perfect house. Is it a good time to buy? The right house at the right time. Well, if the first deal you ever do, the first piece of land you ever do, or the first property you buy is a buy to let, whatever it may be, if the first one you ever do is the perfect one, you never got better. You never improved. The first one should be the shittest one because you got better. And on top of that, I, of those 67 I did last year, only one could be the best. One's the second best, one's the third best, one's the 67th best, but they all have to work. And I think the difference between successful people and those that are building portfolios or building businesses is they understand they're not waiting for the best thing at the best time. They're just doing what works and make sure it works all the time. This comes down to consistency and having stay in power. So um, I'm into horse racing. 
not a gambler. I like the concept of a thoroughbred. Now in flat racing, you've got the sprinters and you've got the stayers. Same in national hunt, mm. right? And I liken this that we're stayers. Yeah. We're the ones that will do the Grand National course. It's four miles, not the two mile chase. Yeah. And it's all this stuff's in the head. Yeah. And, you know, I don't believe that we're born with these alpha mindsets. I'm going to take on the world. I can do anything from birth. I don't believe that that's no. reality. You know, we talked about these traumatic experiences. You go two ways. It's you fold. Yeah. Or you use it to change your life. And this is this whole mentality thing. It's it's mindset, the positive mindset, the negative mindset, the growth mindset. I believe that's the single thing that holds people back. You know, the people looking for the perfect deal. Mm. That's really got nothing to do with that. Exactly. It's their head. It's their head. Yeah. Yeah. And they worry about, it's fair, they worry about making a mistake and end up doing the biggest mistake, which is never doing anything. Because at least, show me somebody who's never made a mistake, you show me somebody who's never tried. And they end up failing. So... Um, yeah, if you're watching this or listening to this and you're thinking, well, I don't know if it's the right time. It's always the right time, but it's about how you do a deal at any time. Yeah, you know, you, you have touched upon network. Mm. So networking, your network is your net worth. One of those social media cliches. Yeah. But it's true. Being around the right people as much as you can because mm. negative people are toxic. Yeah. You know, I've had plenty of people during my career, maybe you have, you'll never be able to do that. Mm. What are you doing that for? It's family. And that's normally friends or family. Yeah, yeah. Okay, who, with all due respect to them, have never really done anything. Well, my mom, I'm the one, I've, I've got six sisters and a brother, right? I'm the youngest of eight, and I'm the one my mom worries about most because I'm the one with no job. She's like, when are you gonna, when I go home for Christmas, when are you gonna sort yourself out? When are you gonna get yourself a job, yeah. a proper job? So um, I am totally the opposite to you in that I'm an only child. Right. Okay. And that's a whole different dynamic because it's quite a isolated existence from a very young age. There's no one to kind of hang with on that side. I have no idea what it's like. My missus has got siblings. Um, I know people that have got siblings have no idea how that whole dynamic works. But being an only child has actually given me the ability to plough a lonely path through everything mm. uh, but yeah it's it's always the family it's always the friends why didn't you become a doctor yeah. why didn't you qualify doctors kids become doctors dentists kids become dentists but uh, but a lot of people watching this will think well you know this is all great but i can't see myself doing a cinema or doing a land or whatever but you could think big start small and and i I was 35 years old and everything I had done had gone wrong and I was still in a job. I'm 45 today and I've built up a 10 plus million quid, 16 million quid worth of property just under that I own. And then I've got all the rent to rent stuff, etc. on top. But 35 years on this planet, I've built a debt. And I'd worked from the age of 15 to 35, so 20 odd years and built a debt using the system the school told you and the education system told us we should follow. And yet 10 years doing stuff, thinking for myself and with support and knowledge and, and mentors and stuff around me, I built up a, 
a big business. So do you think anybody can change or anybody can be successful? Most They say most people think money makes money, but most millionaires on this planet were, were first generation. So can anybody become wealthy? So what I've learned, once again, as I've got older, anyone has the ability to be anything that they want to be. It's being that best version of yourself. Property is a prime example of it. We all know people that ain't that clever that have made fortunes in property, mm. right? I know loads of them who are not particularly gifted, who don't really understand how to get planning. They don't understand how to leverage an investor's money and refinance and spit out some positive cash flow. But they've just done it because yeah. they be it's self-belief. Yeah. It's like if you see some of the richest people on this planet, the, the highly educated university people work for them rather than with them or vice versa. Yeah, I, so. what Steve Jobs and Richard uh, Branson, yeah. you know, the late Steve Jobs, mm. Apple and all that, you know, w would say that you want to be employing people that are cleverer than you yeah. in the business that can teach you how to do mm. stuff. Because things like planning, I can do really well. So I don't need people like me. Mm. I, know, I, I need people that are better than me in every other discipline. Yeah. I, I, when I wrote my No Money Down book, I had lots of people, um, I wrote in 2018, it became an Amazon bestseller, and I had loads of people private message me, email me, etc., saying, um, read your book, great, but uh, you, you, there's some spelling mistakes. And I, I'll pr if you're doing another one, I'll proofread it for you. Or did you get a proofreader before you wrote it? And I felt like replying back to them and saying, uh, where's your book? Um, it's done. I even had one this week and somebody said, check your spelling on a post I did on social media. And it was, I looked at it and I said, what's wrong with the spelling? And they went, it's, it's IT post VS I wrote. And I just replied back and said, well, that's vocabulary. And secondly, you don't need to be perfect at vocabulary. I don't even know if it is vocabulary, but you don't need to be perfect at vocabulary to be successful. Um, do you think some people worry too much about the little detail and not actually just bloody do it? So we talk all the time about attention to detail and the difference between Rolls-Royce and Skoda and this quality over quantity because what we do is very scientific like you mm. my attention to detail has to be on the contracts yeah and all the documents you get from the lawyers and the consultants and the whole thing and the bank whatever because if you're not attending detail on that it's going to cost you money mm. The social media stuff, you've kind of now opened that up, right? Um, we had someone the other day that asked me whether I had a problem with my left arm. Because in the, in the reel, I was moving my left arm a lot. <laughs> it's amazing what they pick right? up on. It's like really yeah. insane stuff. Yeah. And then um, I've had all that stuff. Mm. You're someone's dad. Yeah. Yeah. You're a wanker. Oh, all that stuff. I've been called Jeff Bezos' son quite often. I don't know if right. it's because I'm I was, bald or yeah. not and look a little bit like yeah. him, but I'd love to be a pound behind him or his son. Um, there's a lot of haters out there, but uh, <laughs> it's very funny, some of the stuff we get on social media. Uh, I've, I, you know, you do a post and it's like, I give five tips on how to get out of your job in property without any money to start, and it'll get very little views. And then I'll do some funny comedy post and it'll get viral reach. And it's like, well, what, why do people not, is it that they don't believe that they can do it? Why are they more interested in the crappy social media stuff when all the knowledge is out there that they could use 
Um, it's like they don't believe they can. So, you know, something we talk about a lot, that if I hired a Lamborghini with some attractive females around the post, it would blow up. Yeah. If it's you or me talking about DTV, which you can move on to maybe, yeah. deal strategies, yeah. which is highly influential in how we make money mm. and a really important strategy to avoid being shafted by an agent. Yeah. They don't want to know. The engagement, it's all right. It's okay. Yeah. But if I was to say, I sent a letter and I made five million quid off that letter, it blows up. Mm. It's interesting. So, okay, so yeah. deal finding strategies. Yeah, direct to vendor. D2V, direct to vendor. Um, the best deals we've ever done are direct to vendor. Every single time, I guess, no matter what you do, if you can get direct to the vendor, and not necessarily because the, the agents will shaft you, although the agents will shaft you. Um, most estate agents, and you were an agent, most estate agents have never bought a house. They own a job. And most people who are getting started in property take their advice off an estate agent. So they walk into a letting agent and say, um, is this a good house to rent, to rent? Is this a good property to buy as a rental? And the agent says, ooh, I wouldn't want to live there. Well, I wasn't asking you, did you want to live there? I was asking you, is it a good price as a rental property because other people live there? So we go in as an amateur and we ask the letting agent who is basically in a job, they're probably there six months and their last job was stacking shelves in Tesco with respect. Um, or other businesses, or just out of school or out of university. They got a history degree in university, couldn't get a job, so got a job in an estate agent. So we get advice on what property to buy or what property to rent from an estate agent or letting agent who's never bought a property. It's like going to a financial advisor for financial advice. Like I got people on social media and they'll say to me, what qualifications have you got? Are you a financial advisor? Are you qualified as a financial advisor? And my response is always, well, um, I wouldn't go to a financial advisor who owns a job because most of them are broke. So you go to a financial advisor for financial advice who went to university to learn to be a financial advisor, but they own a job. I got financial advisors coming to me to learn how to get out of a job because that's what they do. So um, most people are getting advice from the wrong people. And if you go to an estate agent, here's why directive vendors is better. Because number one is they don't know what they're doing, the agent, they're just selling a house. Number two is they get in your way of a creative solution. So you go to them and you want to put forward something like an option agreement or exchange with delayed completion and they go, oh, no, no. They're thinking about their commission. They just want to be paid. So they get in your way. They won't get involved in things like overages and so on. While if you go straight to the landlord, you can actually come up with a creative solution. I was speaking to a guy this week about a property and he's got a classic car that he bought as a inheritance type thing and to, for his children for the future to pass on. Um, and he's looking at moving into this property that we're selling, because we sell some properties, and he said he needs to sell the car to move in. Now I met him in the evening. When I do viewing, sometimes I'll do a viewing with the agent. I won't cut them out of their fee, but I'll do the viewing with the potential buyer because I want to be creative with them as well. And he came to me and he said, um, this classic car, he, want, he needs to sell it to make the deal work. And I said, well, listen, if you give us the asking price, I, don't, I want my asking price, but I don't need all my money now. I'll buy the, the classic car is worth 85 grand. Okay. I said, I'll buy the classic car off you for 50K. So the house is 495 grand. So you can pay 495 for the house. I'll buy the classic car off you for 50K, which means you put down the 445. That's, he can get a mortgage and he's got savings, but not enough to get all the way. But if you do that, 
once he's got a loan on the car at the moment and the bank won't lend him the money unless he's got that loan cleared. So I said, well, I'll clear the loan for you. I'll buy the car for 50K. You get your mortgage. Hope the lender's not listening. But once you've got the mortgage and once you're in the property and stuff, you can buy that car back off me for 50K. So that allows them to get in. Now, an estate agent would, be, would scupper that immediately and go, no, no, we need 495 now. Then I don't get my buyer. He doesn't get his dream home. And everybody loses. So creativity, the reason direct-to-vendor is so much better is because you can be creative and property is a people business and you can solve a problem with the person. So something else with direct-to-vendor is that agents have their preferred people, hmm. which is a really important thing. I was speaking to a guy yesterday. You know how small it is. People listen to stuff. <clears throat> He's come across to a small boutique land and development agency in the Midlands. He's come out of the blue chip name synonymous with property in this country. We all know who it is. Begins with S. Ends in S. Been doing it a long time. So I said, to, and it's basically best bids. Now, we don't do best bids mm. for the simple reason there is no transparency to them. Yeah. It's a lottery, that seal bid thing. It's, no, it's I'm not, not playing that game, right? So I said to him, do you reckon they'll look at a JV? He immediately worked out he's taking longer to, to get, get his hands on his fee. He said, oh, maybe, you know, speaks like, you know, the type. The posh. <laughs> oh, maybe they might consider it, but it could be three years before they get their money. And it was three years till I get my money. That's what yeah. I meant to say. The director vendor, what we do is, in a director vendor, if we want to buy it, we only keep the offer on the table for a limited period of mm. time. But why? Because we don't want the vendor to then pick the phone up to someone else that's written to them. Yeah. It's everything's time limited. Here's our offer. It's on the table for seven days. Do you want it? If I haven't heard from him, I'll pick the phone up in seven days. Bought something else. Done. So that's the important thing. Great way to do it. It's a letter and a stamp and a land registry search. It's got the highest ROI in the industry, DTV. Mm. Agents are good. I haven't done a deal with an agent for years. Land. So I do deals with agents because um, they've got more housing stock sure. than direct to vendor. With yeah. land, I totally get why you'd go direct to vendor all the time. I go direct to vendor and through agents for property. Um, I'm probably 50-50 in terms of where we'd get the deal, but the best ones are always direct to vendor. Now, the interesting thing about the sealed bids, I won't mention the agency, but sealed bids are not sealed bids. Um, the back to that preferred bidder thing. I used to be a preferred bidder with an agent, but now I am because of what we've done and the relationships we've built up. But we did a sealed bid property um, about two years ago now, and it, all sealed bids had to be in by 12 o'clock on the day. And I rang up at 20 to 12 and said, if I bid X, would I be highest? And you know, sealed bids in your mind is they've got an envelope and you have to open the envelope at all at the same time and check the bid and see which is highest. But actually most of them come by email or they come in over the phone or the envelope's opened, but you don't know it's opened because you're not watching them and opened. We're not all standing there waiting for them to open the envelope like numbers coming out on the lottery. So I ring up at a quarter to 12 and I say, you know, 20 to 12, quarter to 12 and say, if I bid at X, am I the highest bid? No, a bit more. Okay, well, if I bid at this, am I the highest bid? Uh, no, a bit more. Well, if I bid at this, yeah. 
And then I ring back at two minutes to 12 and I say, if I still bid that, am I the highest bid? No. So if, what would I, if I went up a couple of grand, would I be? Yeah. And then I place my bid. Now I'm the highest bid received via email. And when the landlord is shown the bids, I'm the highest bid. But I was told what I needed to bid to be the highest bid. So sealed bids are not sealed bids. So this is this thing about only do a sealed bid or a preferred bid scenario if you've got the agent on board. Not really going to expand on how you do that. You can be creative with it, okay? That's how you do it. Yeah. And that's what we say. We're only doing a sealed bid if they're in our pocket, right? Exactly. Yeah. But then it's things like guaranteeing them the rental or the management. Yeah. I, I know you've got your own agency or the resale yeah. for us or they'll get the sites to sell if we get planning or they get all the resales yeah. if we build it out as all the yeah. carrots. But most people, they don't understand the carrots and that's because they're trying to do it. They've read a book or they've listened to a YouTube and they're trying to, to buy the property without understanding what they're doing. Um, and they don't value education. They don't value the, the knowledge. You, you get what you pay for and, and you know when you pay, you pay attention, I guess. And you're, and you're learning all these little, we've had a lot of gold dust in here, but they're learning a lot of these intricacies of how to build their business. So um, you, you actually teach people planning gain and stuff? What do you? Yeah, so um, a couple of years ago, or maybe earlier during COVID, putting out a bit of content, started getting DMs on Insta. Um, why don't you do a course? Will you be my mentor? I want to learn how to make a million pounds in a year. You know that's Or a week. Or a day. <laughs> okay. Unless you're born with a silver spoon, win the lottery or sell a business, it's not the reality. So I've got a two-day in-person, face-to-face, one-to-one or with a business partner, so two-to-one at most, in London or Manchester, a property development intensive. I go through my 10 core principles of how I run my business on a daily basis. We start with the mind. We've spoken a lot about that. And I take them through the process, how to structure a company. I had a guy on the phone the other day, experienced guy, my age, very successful in his field, said, oh, I've just bought a piece of land in my personal name. It's kind of helping people with the 10 core principles not to make the mistakes and then they get ongoing mentoring guidance for a period of time. Mm. Yeah, so um, how do do people find you to reach out to you? Um, I've got Property Planning Gain on Instagram, LinkedIn, Facebook. In fact, my LinkedIn profile is in my personal name, Jerome Royth. They can book a discovery call through propertyplanninggain.co.uk. And we set the discovery calls up because I want to find out whether those people are suitable Mm. for the course. It's for people that have already got a couple of properties or have got something about them or might have been on a progressive course. Yeah. Um, So some of our students have been on the progressive training courses. How can people find you, Kevin? Yeah, so all over social media, although I'm not a burger. We spoke about this before we went on. So a lot of people think I'm Kevin McDonald because of that burger chain, but it's Donnell. So D-O-N-N-E-L-L. All over social media, Facebook, LinkedIn, Instagram, um, reaching out to Progressive Property. You just Google them. um, And I run a a creative property investing training. It's called No Money Down, but really what that means is not earned money in your job. So you either do deals with other people's money um, other people's properties, like rent to rents, are um, actually 
Things like vendor finance, seller financing, where the seller funds your purchase. Because a lot of expensive properties, the seller doesn't need all their money now, they need some of it. So we talk through loads of creative ways from option agreements, exchange delayed completions, assisting people on sales, um, where you basically joint venture with owners. We come in, rather than buying a house, where you'd buy the property, pay stamp duty, pay finance, and then do it up and sell it on. I just go to the owner and say, well, if I bought it, I'd have to pay less than what you want because I've got to pay stamp duty and finance costs. Or what I could do is come in and do the refurb I'm going to do anyway. I'll do it up with you, and then we'll sell it and we share the profit. So assisting them in their sale and we split the profits. So yeah, we do a lot of creative property investing techniques which um, allow people to get started in property if they want to build a portfolio and they start with little to no money. Either they have no money or they don't want to use their own money. So you can find me anywhere on social media, typically wearing a, a crazy stripy shirt. Um, this, is the, the, this is not normal, it's just the progressive brand. You might be thinking I'm in my pajamas, but um, yeah, we wear these to basically stand out and, and it's a symbol of a standout life, but also if we're in a room of people, we're easy to find. Um, so the stripy shirt is uh, a little bit strange, but it's, uh, it's, it gets a lot of engagement from the haters on social media. So, Jerome, really appreciate you coming in and, and sharing your journey with us. I really love this. There's been some really good insights about the differences in our business, but actually they're very similar. It's just one's land, one's property. We still have the government challenges, etc. So, um, yeah, really enjoyable. I can't believe we've been speaking for so long. It's been ages. So um, maybe we can do this again sometime as well. Sure, definitely. And thank you for being a very insightful guest on our Property Planning Game podcast. It's been a real pleasure. The businesses are very similar, albeit with different strategies. And I'd definitely like to do something with you again. Yeah, thank you. Welcome.